0: And you can get an extra three months free expressvpn.com slash slash film
1: hello everyone and welcome to slash film daily for february 7th 2018 on today's show we're going to be diving into a bunch of news including the possible renaming of disney's hollywood studios in orlando florida the disney fox acquisition the deadpool 2 trailer new solo a star wars story details and has Lucasfilm hired some female filmmakers, Jumanji 2, and a possible sequel to Get Out? Uh, so we got a lot to talk about. This is Peter Sorata, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor, Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And Slash Home Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Slash Home Senior Writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? So guys, let's just dive into it because we have a whole lot to get through, and I want to do this in under thirty minutes. Let's see if we can actually do it for a change. Uh, uh, <laughs> let's, uh, okay. So, uh, for a uh, couple of years now, it's been rumored that Disney's Hollywood Studios in Orlando, Florida, was going to rename themselves. Uh, and recently, we've been hearing that the that we know the name, Jacob.
2: What have we heard? Uh, well, the rumor name, which came off of a list of names sent out to Disney fans and visitors in a survey last year, is, drumroll please, uh, Disney Cinemagine Park. That's cine as in cinema and imagine as in imagine misspelled. It, it just, comes, e- it,
1: it, it, it just <laughs> comes
2: off the tongue very naturally. <laughs> it is a bad name, uh, but for, for a record, uh, some of the other names on this list included uh, Disney Beyond Park. Disney Legends Park and Disney XL Park. They're all rotten names. They're all bad names. And Anyway, the the story comes from Orlando Weekly and from the Disney Dish podcast, uh, both of which uh, have broken their fair share of theme park news and it's been accurate in the past. And the reasoning for this is that Hollywood Studios, which used to be Disney MGM Studios when it uh, opened in 1989, is undergoing a huge facelift right now. More than half the park is a construction site as they build Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and Toy Story Land. So the, the the parks being literally remade, uh, most of what it used to be is no longer there. So a rebranding makes sense. And uh, and, and at
1: one time it was actually a movie studio where they filmed TV shows and movies, and that is no longer.
2: Yeah, that it, it, it's, it's no longer because it never really took off. It was <laughs> they thought they would attract lots of uh, productions to Orlando, and it never happened. So every time you did the, the tram tour, it was just very very sad as you drove by all these direct a video of low-budget things and felt like, oh, wow, there's nothing here. It's just it's a very pale shadow of, of Universal Studios in Hollywood. So the rebranding makes sense. They want to become a brand-new thing. Instead of being a look at how movies are made, it's a, hey, come live the movies. Come live in Star Wars. Come live in Toy Story. Come experience these things. Uh, as accurately as you can in a real-world situation. So, and Cinemagine, as bad as it is, uh, does betray that. It's cinema, it's imagination, it's all these... It's a couple ideas rolled into one very bad name. What I find interesting about this is the story also reports that uh, Cinemagic Kingdom was one they were considering. Another not great name, but it would have tied it to the Magic Kingdom and Animal Kingdom also in Walt Disney World. But they thought that would have been confusing to first-time visitors and to foreign guests who would maybe get Cinemagic Kingdom confused with Magic Kingdom. Uh, but at the same time, Cinemagic also feels really confusing and bad. Yeah. Uh, it's also, for the record, Disney has denied this in a new statement saying that the well, name will—
1: the denial is it's not going <laughs> to happen.
2: Well, you can say what it says. Yeah. It says uh, it will remain the same for the foreseeable future. But, Peter, you and I both think this is going to change, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, before Star Wars uh, Galaxy's Edge opens in 2019— I, I think they're going to have to rebrand the park. Um, it, it it seems inevitable. They've been talking about it for years. I remember a couple of years ago I had heard that the the title that they were the the leading uh, name for the park was uh, Disney Movie Adventure Park. I heard Hollywood Adventure, but or but maybe it was Hollywood are, Adventure. Yeah, maybe. Both was those one. are much better.
2: Yeah. <laughs> That's a much better name.
1: I mean, I totally get the idea of making it around movies and getting rid of studios and Hollywood. But, yeah, this is just horrible. Um, (laughs) I don't know. Uh, And also, I I love – by the way, I'm a big fan of Jim Hill's podcast. And I love how he points out that sometimes with these kind of corporate decisions and they do these polls, uh, the executives will often put worse titles in the mix just because they're trying to force – like the 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 one that they want to be the one that is you know the leading in the poll, so so a lot of times these like polls are are not the uh, you know it, the, the the names they put in the poll might be there for some
2: kind of reason. <laughs> Here's what Ben and Brad who aren't a big are as big a theme park buffs think of when they hear Disney Cinemagine Park? Um, well,
0: I, I wonder what the hell that even is supposed to be. I mean, I understand it like bringing the history of, uh, of that particular park, like coming in with that understanding, it makes a little bit of sense. But for people who aren't aware that this is a rebranded name and who are just hearing it for the first time, I have to wonder what they're going to think about
3: it. But Brad, do you have any thoughts about this? I mean, Cinemagine kind of sounds like the name for like a new modern viewfinder or like a, like a weird VR game. So I'm not really on board for it. I think we should just just, just keep it simple and just call it movie town.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's happening. Disney's uh, movie town, guys. Come on down. The mayor of Hollywood is Steven Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Steven Spielberg has a deal with uh, Universal Studios, so that's not happening, Brad. But uh, I, I kind of wonder, with this Fox acquisition probably happening, could they rename it uh, Disney's Fox studios well i guess they want to get rid of studios right that's that defeats the whole purpose um but speaking of the acquisition guys uh do you like that transition um yeah yeah um uh it seems like that is not a sure thing it seems like comcast could still be in this uh ben what do we know
0: yeah, so back in December, it seemed as if the Walt Disney Company had finalized its acquisition of 21st Century Fox, the the assets that were on the table, which included uh, 20th Century Fox, the movie studio, FX networks, um, a bunch of other stuff. You guys probably know all about this. We've talked about it at length. But uh, new sources have told CNBC that Comcast might actually consider outbidding Disney if they are allowed to do so. And I think a lot of this is everyone in the industry is sort of sitting around and waiting to see what's going to happen with AT&T's, uh, proposed acquisition of Time Warner, which has been blocked by the Justice Department and sort of um, tied up in a bunch of court cases and stuff. So once the uh, ultimate legality of that case is decided, that's going to have some trickle down effects on the entire rest of the, the industry, and and t- especially in terms of these big um, media company acquisitions. So Comcast has not officially put in a bid yet. But earlier, I guess, um, in the, the early stages of the Disney deal and their their conversations last year. Um, CNBC says that Comcast executives told Fox owner Rupert Murdoch that they were willing to pay quote significantly more than Disney for the Fox assets that are up for grabs. So it is possible that even though it seems like a dumb deal a dumb deal right now. Um, while we're waiting on government regulatory committees to to make their uh, Final say on whether or not this is actually going to happen um, It seems like Comcast is sort of waiting in the wings as a potential spoiler of this whole thing They could conceivably come in and then swoop in at the last second and sort of take this out from under Disney's uh, gaping maw hmm.
1: That would be interesting uh, it, What do you think the chances are of this actually happening? I mean, I guess the, I mean, okay. So
0: I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't specialize in business mergers like this, but from the outside looking in, it seems like the reason that Rupert Murdoch chose Disney is because they have so much infrastructure in place already. And they seem like, you know, it's, it's almost the same reason that, that George Lucas did, right? Like there's, there's a relationship there. There's like, you know, Disney's not going anywhere. Um, you, You sort of get the sense that like, his baby is going to grow up in a nice house kind of thing. And I just don't know if Comcast offering more money is going to be enough to, um, to change his mind there. Uh, there's a lot of speculation about whether that's going to be the case. Um, whether the money is actually going to, uh, speak enough volumes to, to get Rupert Murdoch to change his mind. But uh, to me, it seems like the Disney thing is probably gonna, gonna shake
1: out. Yeah, because he's getting stock. So like a, a lot of the inv- investment is in that company. Uh NBC Universal is owned by Comcast. Uh Jacob, would do you, do you think that Fox could sit side by side with NBC Universal? Like is that a good pairing?
2: Oh, well, I don't I don't like any idea of these pairings. I was just on the show before. Uh, Disney buying Fox rubbed me the wrong way, uh, so Comcast buying Fox rubbed me in the wrong way, uh, it's feasible. Uh, I think Comcast owning it makes, for some reason, makes a little more sense in my mind. I feel like that's uh, a corporate decision that aligns better than Disney, who feels a little more specialized than Fox and Comcast. You feel like they're more of an oligony buffet of services and ideas and endeavors, but I, just, I don't see it, I really hope it doesn't happen in either way, personally. Yeah, I can see that.
1: Uh, but let's move on because a Deadpool two trailer dropped online today, um, and I think we've all seen it at this point. Brad, you wrote it up for the site. Uh, let's start with you. What, what do you, What do you think of this uh, first trailer?
3: Uh, it's really fun. Uh, I'm really glad that now that Deadpool has been established for what he is for breaking the fourth wall and talking to the audience and screwing around and kind of making a mockery of. Uh, superhero movies while also still being one. The trailer campaign can really be itself, I guess you could say, Um, because this is leaning into Deadpool's uh, sarcastic and playful nature much more than the official trailers for the first movie did. There were plenty of online clips that had Ryan Reynolds talking to the camera and goofing around, but the the, the trailers that we've seen so far for Deadpool 2 uh, have been very meta and feature just tons of weird things and this one is no different you know it, it starts off you know as a, uh, a gritty introduction to cable and then it turns into Deadpool you know cracking jokes and whatnot and playing around with action figures before we get to a montage of clips from Deadpool 2 so it's it's perfectly in line with what Deadpool is and what it represents and I think I think it just it looks like it's gonna be great. <laughs>
1: And it's a perfectly timed uh, parody of Toy Story in there with the figures, which, uh, you know, Fox being acquired uh, by Disney, I think is is fun. Um, T.J. Miller barely appears in this trailer for good reason, I'm sure. And uh, I don't know. I was kind of surprised that it was so much action-packed and so much seriousness at the beginning and the end of this trailer. I know that it does have that fun fourth wall stuff in in, in that middle section, but uh, I'm surprised that they... they, Oh know I, I just thought this is probably a good thing because I thought after seeing Deadpool one that they might uh, take the wrong lesson from that movie and be like oh we got to make it a full-on comedy and you know take out the the fun action that uh, that the original director brought to, uh, to, who was it? Tim story or to uh, Tim Miller T- Tim Miller sorry uh, brought to that film uh,
2: Jacob what did you think of this trailer it's good uh, I think Deadpool's funny this is a funny trailer uh, Mike my- I find the serious stuff interesting because my main concern about bringing a character like Cable and the X-Force is that when Deadpool's not around, those are very serious characters. And if they want to spin them off into their own movie, as is the plan, then I want to see if they can hold their own without the goofy humor. So I'm kind of curious to see how the movie balances that, if we're going to actually going to treat the cable scenes with a seriousness that kind of gets derailed by Deadpool coming in and, and making jokes. So it's going to be an interesting balance. And I hope they find it. Um, but there's some really, really wild stuff in that ass montage at the end. And while I'm not a big fan of the X-Force, I mean, seeing that stuff all come together is, it's pretty cool. And the dig at, at Superman's mustache is, is really funny. It's, so, uh, yeah, I, I'm, it's, it's a good trailer. Uh, I, I hope they find that balance, and I hope that they introduce all these new characters in a way that we can conceivably see them holding their own and not just as foils as the Deadpool. Ben, any thoughts on the Deadpool trailer?
0: Uh, I am not a fan of the first Deadpool movie. I just didn't think it was funny. I I like Ryan Reynolds, and I like um, you know I like him as a performer, and I actually I, I mean I kind of like him even as this character. I just didn't think it, the first movie was particularly well written. I thought it was um a little too like it it just felt like it was trying way too hard to me and i i know i'm in like the one percent of the population that thinks that because everybody loves the first deadpool um so this trailer didn't do as much for me as it did for you guys because it was sort of like a lot of the same that same kind of vibe but um i'm i will say that i uh, didn't really care for the, the cable stuff in the very beginning, but the idea of Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool poking fun at that is something that I'm actually kind of interested in. So, like, if if... The whole thing had the same tone as the first, I don't know, 30 seconds of this trailer where it's just uh, Cable wandering around, you know, grittily uh, <laughs> gritting his teeth and, and mumbling and growling. Um, I think this movie would be a total disaster, but thankfully it's not going to be that because that's the whole point of Deadpool is that he's constantly, you know, meta and poking fun at stuff. So uh, I'm hoping this one's going to be a little bit more fun than the first one and that it's that the jokes land better for me.
1: And uh, Brad has a great article on the site uh, telling you about who these guys are, the X-Force. Um, Brad, we don't want to give everything away and we don't want to go through all this, but uh, you know, there's some cool casting reveals here. Who are these people?
3: Uh, yeah, so the X-Force it happens to be another mutant mercenary team that exists in the Marvel Comics universe. Um, in the comics, it's founded by Cable, formed by members of the New Mutants. Uh, it's basically what the New Mutants became. Back in the 1990s. uh, And it's composed of a lot of different characters. Um, Domino, who's a new character in Deadpool 2, was one of them at one time. A lot of the people that are in X-Force also actually were part of another team that was initially called Wild Pack. And then they had their name changed to Six Pack because there was already another team called Wild Pack Pack in the Marvel Comics universe. Um, But... The coolest thing that we noticed when we see the quick shot of these people in the Deadpool 2 trailer is that Terry Crews is in this movie, apparently. Uh, No one's confirmed that it's Terry Crews, but if it's not Terry Crews, it's somebody who looks an awful lot like Terry Crews. Um, So he's next to Deadpool. And for his character, there's a few different options as to who he could be. Because there are some characters that have either been part of X-Force or uh, Six-Pack or both that – he could be playing that kind of fits the um the look that we see there and the ties to both Deadpool and Cable and then there are two characters in the background that are a little harder to see one of them appears to be a mutant named Shatterstar who was one of the founding members of X-Force and the other one is a little bit more difficult to discern and there are some options that I came up with by just digging through the various characters uh, from X-Force and the ones that have Ties to Deadpool and Cable there's one specifically that I think that it might be that has ties to Shatterstar and if it is that character it might be the first um gay superhero couple we've seen on the big screen at the very least that I'm pretty sure that other character is Shatterstar which would be uh the first gay comic book uh superhero we've seen on the big screen so uh could be kind of a big deal for Deadpool and uh yeah it'll be interesting to see what kind of role the uh those other mutants play in the movie
1: Well, yeah, if you want to read Brad's entire article, you can go to slashfilm.com or linked in the show notes. It's it's, it's worth a read if you want to dig into who we will be seeing as the X-Force in this sequel. Uh, But let's move on from that to Star Wars. Uh, Solo, a Star Wars story. Uh, Entertainment Weekly is running a cover story this week. And, of course, tons of details are revealed. Jacob, what have we learned?
2: Yeah, there were a few stories uh, released today, and we're going to cover uh, two of them right now. Both of them involve uh, plot details and some character details, both for new and old faces. Um, so let's, let's start with the uh, cover story uh, on uh, We Wrote Above the site. What's interesting is that we learn that the main focus of Solo A Star Wars Story, or at least maybe the first main job that may get people into trouble, is a train robbery. A, but the train we see in the in the trailer, which is a sort of roller coaster fast, exciting looking vehicle, it's called the uh, Conveyex, and something on the on the convex is going to be stolen by a crew led by Tobias Beckett, who is Woody Harrelson's character, and his team includes Val, uh, Tandy Newton, uh, and they may be working for Dryden voss played by Paul Bettany, and at this point in the story, or at least in the Star Wars timeline. Uh, Han Solo is a bit more idealistic, he's a bit of a dreamer, and he gets pulled onto this team uh, after they see something in him, and as uh, Alden Ehrenreich, who plays Han Solo, says, I think figuring out who's good and who's bad is exactly what Han is trying to do throughout this film. So it's very much a traditional uh, crime movie setup. The crew gets together to do a job, and presumably the job either goes really well at the end or it goes really poorly midway through the movie in a deal with the fallout. So I'm curious to see what structure the movie follows. And also Kathleen Kennedy and other people involved in the production throw around all kinds of words describing this movie. There's a Western, there's noir, there's a heist gunslinger type movie. So it feels like there's a lot of a lot of things going on in Solo Han Solo story. Sorry, solo a Star Wars story. Uh <laughs> <laughs> solo, uh, never mind. Okay, <laughs> moving on from that.
1: That, that, uh, that bit- actually sounds like it could have been a, you know, a Legends book o- at one time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> solo, a solo story set in a part one of the solo series. Um, all right, the, uh, more interestingly, uh, In Weekly revealed a batch of photos showing off characters and locations. And you can see all these in slashfilm.com. It's in the show notes, but I'll run down some of the details we can talk about here. Uh, there's a shot of young Han and Chewbacca, sitting in the Millennium Falcon cockpit. And Screen on Lawrence Kasdan notes that, to me, this is a love story between Han and Chewie. Their relationship has always been my favorite part of the saga. And the fact that only Han understands what Chewie is saying, I find a very funny possibility for comedy. So, as we all assumed, we're going to see a lot of Han and Chewie, how they met, how they bonded, and how they became uh, that unbeatable duo from the original trilogy. And I know in the original Star Wars canon, uh, they met when... Uh, Han rescued Chewbacca from the Empire and Chewbacca swore a life debt to him where he essentially would stand by his side and and protect him and be his partner forever. So I think we can see something similar to that. Another photo uh, is from the interior of the Millennium Falcon, which is very spiffy and new-looking and not at all beat up and and disgusting like it is in the original trilogy. And the photo uh, sees Han, Chewie, and Tobias Beckett sitting together. And Ron Howard has this to say about uh, Tobias Beckett. He's a powerful criminal, but also a free agent. Tobias Beckett really really shapes Han more than anybody. As Han comes to believe that in a lawless time, he needs a moral code, and it makes me wonder if Tobias Beckett is the kind of guy who teaches Han a moral code, or if maybe he betrays him uh, and teaches Han uh, that he can't trust anyone. So I'm very very curious to see how that goes. Uh, we also see a little bit from Amelia Clark's Kira, that's spelled Q I apostrophe R A. Uh, you may remember Clark uh from Game of Thrones, where she plays Daenerys. Here, she is Han Solo's old friend, and they grew up on the streets together. She's a uh, streetwise uh, crook like him. But unlike Han, who still looks scruffy, she's dressed to the nines. She looks like a million bucks. She's wearing fancy dresses. She looks like she's blended in to high society. And Clark herself said that she's hiding a few rough roads beneath the glamour. And the last photo I want to talk about is of the galaxy's best-dressed man, Lando Calrissian, played by Don Glover. And he's sitting at a table with an alien. This practical effect looks really cool. And he's holding cards. And he confirms that, yes, it is uh, Sabic. And you may remember Sabic is the game that Han Solo won while facing off against Lando that won him the Millennium Falcon. So we're probably going to see some Sabic games. We're probably going to see Han win the Falcon for sure. And, of course, there are other photos as well, but you can find those going to this site and taking a look and i i, I want to hear what uh you guys think about this because there's a, there's not a lot of stuff here it's like mind blowing but a lot of cool little details what do you guys think I mean, I'm, I'm really intrigued by the kind
1: of Western heist kind of aspect to this film. Uh, I love, you know, I've already said I love the look of the Millennium Falcon, which by the way, uh, someone on Twitter, I saw this theory. Victoria McNally theorizes that the YT 1300F that we see in the solo movie isn't actually the Millennium Falcon. It will explode spectacularly sometime uh, during the Act 3 fight sequence and shock audiences. And then in the finale, Han will buy a borked-up model to recapture the magic. Um, This comes because uh, some sites out there reported earlier this week basically uh you know episode three has a shot of the millennium falcon in the background i think george lucas confirmed it as the millennium falcon and it looks like the millennium falcon of uh the original trilogy fame with you know all the modifications that this one does not have um so you know, some fans and some sites are like, "What's the deal? Did you know Star Wars story group miss out on this?" And I think Pablo Hildago has confronted us on Twitter and been like, "Of course we know. Of course it, it does not break canon. Of course we have an explanation of this. Wait until you see the movie." So, um, so I'm wondering if that's going to come into play. Although that I, I think that would be pretty confusing if you're introducing a second Millennium Falcon into the mix. But um, yeah, uh, Ben and Bright, what do you what do you think of? Uh, any of the information we learned today? First, I think Brad's, Brad's more equipped to, to answer this than I am.
3: Well, one thing I wanted to, to add about that Millennium Falcon thing, because we talked about this earlier on on Slack, is that uh, it would kind of make sense if there were multiple Millennium Falcons, since the YT-1300 is merely a classification of light freighter. So just like there are multiple kinds of cars, there could be multiple kinds of ships that look like the Millennium Falcon, um, just all with different modifications. And I pointed this out, too, as a a weird thing. It just so happens that in The Force Awakens, there's an exchange between Han Solo and Rey, where when Han tells Rey, uh, um, will you tell him that Han Solo just stole back the Millennium Falcon? And Rey says, this is the Millennium Falcon. She's surprised at hearing that this is the ship, but she says a Millennium Falcon, not the Millennium Falcon. Hmm. So I wonder if it's a seed that they planted Knowing that there were going to be multiple versions of the Millennium Falcon down the road. I don't I don't know if that's the case. Who knows if they knew Solo was gonna be a thing when they were planning Force Awakens or whatever, but it's an interesting thing nonetheless, and especially because the Lego set for the the new Millennium Falcon is called Kessel Run Millennium Falcon. So it implies that if there are multiple versions of the ship, they are all called Millennium Falcons. I so who knows? It's it seems complicated. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm not sure about that, but we we do have to move on. Uh, yesterday, when we were talking about the big news of the Game of Thrones creators coming on to uh, create a new series of Star Wars films, we all kind of, uh, you know through some uh, spite at uh, Lucasfilm and Disney, because, uh, you know, they keep on hiring men for these filmmaker and screenwriting roles for the Star Wars series. And it it would be interesting to see, you know, them hire some women and some people of color for the new Star Wars movies. Uh, It turns out they may have already done that. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so there's a rumor
0: going around um, from a couple different sources. One is uh, Franklin Leonard, who is the guy who runs The Blacklist, which is the annual list of the year's best unproduced screenplays. Uh, He tweeted this this morning. If the rumors are true that Lucasfilm has hired multiple women and people of color to write and direct Star Wars films and kept it quiet to respect their privacy, I happily and humbly withdraw my previous criticisms and hope that privacy remains respected. And then a screenwriter named Daniel Kanka uh, chimed in and said, I know at least one female writer who was hired. And that is, you know, all that information combined with uh, a report from Jeff Snyder at the tracking board, who says that he has also seen these rumors pop up on a Facebook thread that features a bunch of um, well-known screenwriters, makes it seem like this is a true thing, that Lucasfilm has secretly hired uh, multiple women and people of color to write or possibly direct new Star Wars movies. So the question is, if they have actually done that, why would they keep it a secret? Um, one of the answers is that, uh, the way that the industry works is people get hired to work on projects all the time. And a lot of times those projects end up not coming to fruition
1: for one reason or another. Um, sometimes people will be hired on a project and work on it for like two years. And that announcement is never made, you know, no announcement of the project, no announcement of that person working on the project, you know, right. st- yeah, it's, it's like, that's how the industry works.
0: Yeah. And because all eyes are on Lucasfilm in this particular context right now, I feel like they're probably trying to um, be a little, you know, they decided that it's better to be safe than sorry. So can you imagine the idea of them making a big announcement about the first woman director or the first, uh, you know, black screenwriter or something like that for a Star Wars movie? And then if that project ended up not making it to the big screen or, or that particular person ended up leaving due to creative differences or something like that, Um, That would be a bigger public relations nightmare probably than what Lucasfilm has on its hands right now, which is just them continuously hiring a bunch of white guys. So (laughs) it it, um, it would
1: be like Marvel hiring uh, Patty Jenkins to direct a Thor movie and then, you know, breaking up with that last minute and getting all this flack. So maybe they want to avoid that kind of scenario.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, but then there's also another interesting point, and this this also comes from uh, Jeff Snyder at the Tracking Board. He says that this could be sort of a more strategic ploy um, on on Disney's part because uh, Ryan Coogler is getting ready to release Black Panther, and Ava DuVernay is getting ready to release A Wrinkle in Time, and those are both massive, you know, multi million dollar. Um, blockbuster films from Disney. Disney is a, a company that notoriously likes to h- hire within the family, so to speak. I mean, they love working with people that they've worked with before. Um, so what if one of those people, uh, Ryan Cooler or Eva DuVernay, is already, you know, what, what if they are the, the contenders that were, you know, these people who've already been hired? Um, if that's the case, maybe Disney and Lucasfilm are not making this announcement because they want the focus Of uh, those press junkets to be on those movies Black Panther and a Wrinkle in Time instead of all these journalists asking these people Star Wars questions so um, that actually sort of makes sense to me especially since we just got uh, an invite to the Wrinkle in Time junket and Ava DuVernay is not doing one-on-one interviews which is a little weird because she directed the movie and Um, she's
1: so great with press you would think that you know they would want to put her front and center
0: yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So, the, yeah, the, I mean, that sort of leads me. I mean, again, it's not confirmed. It's not like a, a locked in thing that Ava DuVernay is making the next Star Wars movie. But it definitely seems like uh, a piece of evidence that you could put in that category. Um, and uh, and yeah, I mean, this whole thing, it seems very much like it's, it's, it's a, a long time coming for Star Wars to uh, open the playing field up to different perspectives. So I really hope that this stuff ends up being true.
1: Well, we did not hit the 30-minute time limit, guys, but we have a bunch of sequel stories that I'm sure people are going to want to stick around and hear. The first of which is Jumanji. Welcome to the Jungle was such a huge success that they have uh, fast-tracked the sequel. Brad, what do we know?
3: Yeah, so Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle was a massive hit, a surprise success even. I don't think anybody was anticipating that a Jumanji sequel would do uh, this well, but it's so far, it's earned $857.6 million at the global box office. Uh, it's Sony's biggest non-Spider-Man movie, and it's just a, a huge hit. So obviously, Sony wants to keep the franchise going and make an, a new movie, so they've brought back the original screenwriters of Welcome to the Jungle, uh, Scott Rosenberg and Jeff Pinkner, who are fresh off working off uh, on Venom for Sony Pictures, And they're also bringing back Jake Kasdan, who is the director of Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. So the entire team is coming back. And even though I was thinking and hoping that maybe we might see another cool approach to the concept of Jumanji, since this one did such an interesting thing by turning the idea into a a video game that sucks the people into it as opposed to a board game that pushes jungle elements out into the real world, the movie is supposed to bring back uh, Dwayne Johnson, Kevin Hart, Jack Black, and Karen Gillan. So that means we'll be dealing with the video game again somehow, but we just don't necessarily know in what capacity. Well, may- may- be-
1: maybe they will get sucked out into the real world and have to stop uh, some bad guys and animals and stuff.
3: That, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is I actually, I think it would be cool to see the video game avatars who don't have any real world experience contend with having to uh, behave in a more realistic fashion, much in the same way that Arnold Schwarzenegger has to in the second half of Last Action Hero.
1: That could be interesting. Um, Let's move on to our last bit, uh, which is another sequel. Jordan Peele is considering a get-out sequel and has quit acting. Jacob, what do we know?
2: I'll start with the first one there. Uh, At a recent Academy's nominees night, uh, Jordan Peele, who's nominated – for three Oscars this year, uh, for producing Get Out, for directing Get Out, and for writing Get Out, he was asked about a potential Get Out sequel, to which he responded, I will definitely seriously consider it. I love that universe. I feel like there's more story to tell. I don't know what it is now, but there are some loose ends, if you know the movie. Uh, this, to me, doesn't feel like a, I'm making a Get Out too. It's like, I'm going to be nice to your question and give you a polite answer. Uh, I'm not going to say there shouldn't be a Get Out sequel, there's probably a lot more stories you can tell in there. But I feel like Jordan Peele said so much with Get Out that I want to see him explore other things and other worlds and uh, find more things to say with featuring new characters and new stories. So while he said this, and while I have no doubt in my mind maybe a Get Out 2 has flashed through his mind and he's maybe thought about possibilities, I wouldn't count on there actually being one. <laughs> probably not ever, if not for a long time. Uh, But the other story here is that uh, Jordan Peele has quit acting. Uh, And you may know he's an incredible actor. He was uh, on all those years of Key and Peele where he's really funny. And he's just this really strong, versatile performer. And when he won the Director's Guild of America Award for Best New Director, uh, he said, the Emoji movie actually helped me quit acting. I was offered the role of Poop. (laughs) So he responds to – you said – He said that this was a very messed up offer. He didn't say messed up, though. Uh, He said he'd sleep on the offer. And by the time he got back to his agent, they had offered the role of Patrick Stewart, who had accepted it. So he decided that if people are going to offer him the role of Poop in the Emoji movie, he'd rather not be acting. So he is going to concentrate on making movies and being behind the camera. And while I feel like we are suffering a loss for him no longer acting because he is such a strong actor... Uh, him doubling down on directing more movies is certainly not a bad thing. So I don't think we'll see a Get Out sequel, uh, but at the very least, we'll be seeing a lot more from Jordan Peele in the years ahead. Brad, do we need a Get Out sequel?
3: Um, I don't know if we need one. I think maybe some time needs to go by before we jump right back into it. And like Jacob says, I think that there's plenty more that Jordan Peele wants to do behind the camera, and he has a lot more to say since he's only directed one film so far that he doesn't need to necessarily start Uh, Pumping the well so soon So I I think let's let Jordan Peele Do what he wants to for a bit and then maybe circle back Around to a Get Out sequel in a few years or so
1: What about a Get Out Purge Crossover (laughs) spinoff
3: No? No Just no (laughs) Okay,
1: (laughs) I think that does it for today's Slash Film Daily Uh, Where can everybody Find more of your work guys? Let's start with Jacob.
2: I'm on SlashFilm.com Every single day and I'm on Twitter At Jacob S. Hall Ben where can people hear you? Uh, you can hear me on this
0: podcast. I'm on it uh, pretty regularly. You should definitely subscribe to it. It's pretty great. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Ben Paris as well. Brad, where can people find you?
3: You can find me on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. And listen to me on another podcast called Go Flix Yourself, F-L-I-X, on iTunes and other podcasting platforms. And I write for some site called Slash Film.
1: I don't know. I don't recognize that. Uh, You can subscribe to Slash Film Daily on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast. It's published every weekday. Please go to iTunes, give us a rating, give us a review, uh, spread the word, tell your friends, and we will see you tomorrow.